it's about basketball, it's about education, and it's about um, finances. And it, it's all, it all comes down to athlete empowerment and having them participate in what we believe is going to be an amazingly successful league from a consumer perspective. Welcome to another edition of The Cusp Show, the Columbia University sports podcast, where we talk about the business of sports, innovation, technology, disruption, all kinds of things. I'm Joe Favorito, along again with my co-host, Tom Richardson. Tom, here we go again. Hello, Joe. Good to be back for another show. We've been on a nice roll of fun shows with people that have a lot of interesting insights to share. And I'm especially excited about this one today, Some some someone we've had before on the show, uh, a returning guest again, two weeks in a row of returning guests, but there's a good reason for having this guy back today. Um, one of the most fascinating topics in the business, which we've covered off and on over the last few years, particularly the last few months, Joe, is the question of what's going on with compensation for college athletes or athletes of a certain age, younger athletes. And it's one of the most interesting issues in the business, I'd say, right now, especially coming off of March Madness, which just ended, and now being months away from the first legal NIL stuff opening up in a few states uh, this summer. So cool. that's a pretty good tee-up, I'd say, for you, Joe, to introduce our guest. Yeah, so he's also, as uh... Tom mentioned he's a returning guest. The first time we interviewed him in a closet at Hashtag Sports. I met him on a it fire seems, escape. It seemed like it was about 20 one. years ago, and I think yeah. it was probably three years ago or something. And we originally met on a fire escape, which I had mentioned uh, uh, at Fordham, with his co-founder of Sports um, sports Quotient, Robert Hess, uh, when, I was, when I was at the basketball tournament. So... Uh, he's also, by the way, Tom, I think the first person for, to, make for, for, to make sports business journals under 30 and 40 under 40 list two years ago. I just the, uh, saw that. Congratulations. Two years apart. So, yeah. you know, we knew him well from closets and fire escapes. But uh, Zach Wiener, the founder, co-founder of Overtime Sports, welcome back. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, thanks for the kind words. Uh, I'm still that same guy uh, from from, uh, from the podcast in the closet. Um, I think it's actually you guys. Your, your podcast has become more famous, and I'm even more honored to be on the show. So thank you for having me. Thank you, and Joe. I forgot, and Zach. I forgot about the Robert Hess connection. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you got a chance, Zach, to listen to that that combo we had with Robert, but. One of the most enjoyable ones that we've had in a long time, partly because I had just finished watching the Queen's Gambit, I think Joe too. Yeah. So my mind was on chess and yeah. Robert, boy, that guy, that guy is really interesting. Yeah, he, he's unbelievable. He, he's one of my absolute best friends. Um, and, and we actually met just before high school started. And then we went to Stuyvesant High School together. Uh, and it's, it was kind of funny for me because I was a big chess player growing up as well. I was nationally ranked, all these things. And so in elementary school and middle school, I was like known as the chess guy. And then I happened to go to high school with literally the best chess player in the entire country. So now like me being ranked, whatever, 20th or whatever, which I thought was pretty good. Like people in high school didn't even realize I played chess because he was so um, amazing, but it, it was super fun, uh, you know, being a chess partner with him on, on the chess team. But more than anything, being a friend. And, and we stayed really, really close to this day. And as Joe said, we, we started a business together when we were in college called the Sports Quotient, which was really yeah. fun as well. So Tom, wait, wait, hold on one second, Joe, one second. 
Wait, didn't he mention that he was a grandmaster by 17? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I remember so when he... When right, he that's when he, crazy. I remember when he became a grandmaster. I think we celebrated a California pizza kitchen. Uh, yeah, he, I mean, he, he, is, he is in every sense of the word uh, a prodigy. He is unbelievably talented. And I think one of the things that differentiates him is, and he's really taken his career in this path, is his communication skills paired with, with his ability to play. So his, his coaching skills, his commentating skills, his streaming skills. I was actually up way too late last night watching him stream on Twitch. Um, so he has a really unique combination. You cannot spell chess without Hess. was one of my favorite lines I used in there. So anyway, so um, let's get on to overtime. Uh, you know, for especially for our audience, no reason to get into what overtime is. Uh, the company has evolved tremendously and some really interesting developments in the last couple months that Tom touched on. So Zach, why don't you just kind of walk us through where you are today and this, you know, new innovative thought that you have and, and the league that you guys are going to launch and why, most importantly, why? Yeah, for sure. Um, so, you know, the, the premise of the company has always been around this, this up and coming audience called Gen Z, called millennials, you know, 13 to 34 year olds. Um, and, and really, you guys know this, the, and, and you guys teach this in your classes, I'm, I'm sure, um, you know, the, the changes in the ecosystem and how this generation is not watching as much live sports, they're not as enamored with the legacy media brands uh, and networks, etc. Um, and so when we set out to build the company and, you know, we got our first investment from the late David Stern and Graycroft, like they, they ultimately believed in that macro opportunity. And, you know, luckily they believed in me and my co-founder, Dan, as entrepreneurs. Um, but, you know, it, it was not actually clear to us how we would attract this demographic, how we would make them actually care about this company we were building over time. Um, and we tried a lot of different things. Some of it worked, some of it didn't. And one of the things that worked early on and has really stuck with us as a company is this idea of the next generation athlete, that 16, 17, 18 year old athlete that's just a couple of years away from the NBA, NFL, whatever sport that they, that they wanna play. Um, and when we were starting, the poster child for us was really Zion, you know, reached a million followers by the time he was a senior uh, in, in high school on Instagram, uh, you know, someone that, that this audience really wanted to follow. And we, it was interesting for us because, um, you know, he was still kind of being covered in the same way that, he, that high school stars had always been covered, which was, you know, kind of about his stats and his, his weight and height and where he was going to go to college. And maybe you see a live game every once in that once in a while, but people were enamored with the in real time highlights. They were enamored with the storytelling and kind of understanding who these athletes were. And we have only seen that trend accelerate over the past almost five years that we've been in business. And you now have athletes with millions of followers that are, that are sophomores in high schools. And I think that if you're outside of this demo, you might look at Zion as sort of like a, a generational athlete in terms of his influence. And while he may be generational in terms of his athletic prowess and his ability to throw down amazing dunks, um, in, in terms of influence, we're actually seeing, I still believe actually the beginning of the trend, even though you have high school athletes that have more followers than 95% of NBA players, it's, it's just growing and growing. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if we, see, if we see high school athletes with 10 million followers in the not so distant future. And so we, we at Overtime have been able to partner with these athletes through A, our technology to get out their highlights, but B, our storytelling. We have a 50 person uh, content production team to be able to, to tell their stories, lend Overtime as a platform, um, you know, and, and again, it's just increased, increased. And so what's happened over that time period is, you know, as a company, we've gotten to know these athletes and their families really, really well. And, and one of the kind of seminal moments 
for us in this journey of launching Overtime Elite uh, was this one day event we ran called the Overtime Takeover. It was almost two years ago now. And it really did two things. One, I think it unlocked sort of the, the media and business opportunity around this, which was a one day event that did millions of dollars in sponsorship that um, you know did 150 million video views, like insane, this supernova experience of bringing these athletes together. So that was kind of like the, the, the business side of the mind. But I would say probably even more impactful was what we learned from these athletes and their families, inviting them in and then continuing the relationships. And, and what we really realized is that for the elite and elite athletes, the system is not exactly working for them, particularly on the basketball side. And, and there's really kind of three pillars that we identified. The first is basketball development and training. These athletes sometimes play 10 games in a weekend for, for AAU tournaments, which is not good for their body. It's not a coincidence that a lot of these athletes come into the league and they get injured so quickly. They don't have the best access to sports science, um, you know, sports training and psychology and all, all those sorts of elements. Um, you know, and the people around them on the basketball side are oftentimes focused on the short term of, you know, winning the championship when these athletes should really be focused on their long term. So that was kind of one bucket. The second was around education. And I'm sure you guys have seen this, but unfortunately, these athletes are not getting the best education. And for me, you know, education at large in this country and around this world, obviously, a lot of opportunity to improve it. But I think particularly for these young men, for me, it, it, it's one of the only places where you can identify in advance who the future role models of not just our country, but of the world are going to be like, you can't look at, at, at a kid who's 17 and say, oh, you're going to be the president of the United States, or you're going to be the CEO of Apple or what, you know, but with basketball, we can do a pretty darn good job. I mean, it's not a hundred percent hit rate, but you pretty much know who these, these future superstars are going to be. And yet as a society, we're not investing extra resources around financial literacy, around conversation, around social justice, mental health, like you know, we, we should be pouring in extra resources because it's not just for the athletes themselves, but it's the tens of millions of followers and fans that are going to be influenced by this. So, you know, we understood this, the athletes understood this, we wanted to make sure there was more well-rounded education. And then the third element, which is probably the buzziest and, and kind, kind of in your, in your lead up to this, you alluded to it, Tom, but this idea of economic empowerment, you know, and I think that, um, you know, if you, I know that if you talk to these athletes and their families, not, not, not a single one says, oh, we shouldn't be compensated. You know, amateurism is this good thing. Ultimately, they're like, no, my son, or if, if you're talking to the athlete themselves, I, I, I'm influential. People want to watch me play. They want to see me do stuff off the court. I'm being monetized, and I know that, but I'm not seeing any benefit of that. I should be able to. And so, you know, if you kind of take these two prisms of one, sort of the, the, the media and business opportunity, and two, the opportunity to impact an ecosystem that um, is troubled, what you have together is overtime elite. And it's this, you know, super league for the top basketball players in the world from 16 to 18 years old. And then it provides them with those three pillars. So amazing basketball development, you know, top, top coaching and, and, and a full staff, you know, all the things I talked about, sports psychology, training, nutrition, all those things, amazing education, a four to one athlete to teacher uh, ratio, all the things, you know, mental health training, financial literacy, all of that. And then economic empowerment in a very, very real way. So that they, they get to participate in the upside. So six-figure salaries, shares in overtime, just as any overtime employee would get, the ability to monetize name, image, and likeness. So a lot of really compelling things for them. And ultimately, these athletes, the elite of the elite, um, are not necessarily thinking about playing college basketball at this point. Um, they're thinking about monetizing and preparing for the NBA. These are athletes that basically know that they're going to be able to make that level. But at the same time, it's been very important to us that we make it clear education is at the heart of this. And not just while they are in our program, 
but also for the future, the continuing education. That's why even though most of these athletes will probably go straight to the NBA or to G League Ignite and continue to, to make money playing basketball, we're putting away $100,000 in college scholarship. We're going to have an amazing alumni network that we're able to continue do continuing education. So um, it, it's about basketball, it's about education, and it's about um, finances. And it, it's all, it all comes down to athlete empowerment and having them participate in what we believe is going to be an amazingly successful league from a consumer perspective. One of the quotes that was either attributed to you or Dan, I believe it came from one of you, was the reference to OT as being really the first league built for the next generation. And this idea of inverting the model and starting with the, the fundamentals of what's, what's changed in media, what's changed in labor relations, let's call it, like the financial side of the business. So what's probably most fascinating about this is that you have a chance and I'm sure, and, and I wanna hear about kind of the origin story of like the first spark of the idea that led to the second discussion and visit to the board and your investors and stuff like that. Cause that's probably a really interesting component of this. But this inversion is really interesting because you can build this now in a, with, with a whole new approach that legacy sports leagues or businesses simply cannot do. They're always working against the existing system as it relates to media, as it relates to labor. You've talked about the media rights inversion, things like that. So can you expound on that? That, that to me is a really most interesting aspect of this. Yeah, no, uh, Tom, I appreciate you bringing it up because you're right that, you know, I, I, I you know, I often say this term next generation, um, you know, and I think it, 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 it's central to everything that we do, right? Uh, it's central to disruption and to this audience, but you're right that it's not just next generation athletes themselves that we are impacting, but it's the next generation audience. And, and that's really kind of the marriage here. And you're absolutely right that, uh, you know, le legacy leagues, um, particularly the big ones, are amazing properties without a doubt um you know we're, we're worth a lot of money um and you know by by a lot of metrics continuing to grow um but you are right that they are ultimately not optimized for this next generation of fans it doesn't mean that there aren't young people that are watching the nba or nfl or whatever of course they are um but the 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 economics the distribution um, everything is really catered around the, at least right now, the legacy model, right? And that legacy model still at the end of the day is the cable bundle, um, you know, and, and making sure that that, 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 that holds up. And obviously we're seeing, um, some transformation and innovation there with things like, uh, you know, the Thursday night football, Amazon rights package, but at the end of the day, you know, they are beholden not just to that model, but to that audience. And for us, um, I want to be clear, I don't think that the target audience for us is so narrow as to be high school kids. Like, you know, certainly there will be high school kids that, that are interested in this. But if you look at the overtime demographic, actually over 50% of our audience is above the age of 21. So it's not, it's not just high school kids and teenagers, but it's not really that kind of 45 plus audience that the legacy um, companies are, are, you know, legacy leagues and networks um, are so um, catered towards. And so I, I completely agree with you that it opens up completely different types of opportunities for thinking. It allows us to think, okay, do we have to have a three hour live broadcast of the, of the game, let alone being on linear television? Like, even if, even if it's on YouTube or Twitch or whatever, like, is that really the right product for audience? A, does it necessarily have to be live? B, does it have to be three hours? 
you know, see, can we do interesting things like dynamic rosters? Can, can we, can we, you know, the, the NBA has, has a tradition of having a dunk contest once a year, but, you know, could we have a dunk contest on a more regular basis? Could we do a one-on-one -on -one battle? There's a lot of interesting things that we can do that can be both fun for the athletes um, and, and grow their brands, but also be amazing for our audience and for our business model. So Zach, two questions, two-part question. One is, We've seen kind of the rise in the questions around women's sports and equality for pay. Megan Rapinoe has been very vocal lately. Um, how does Overtime handle that? Overtime Elite handle that? Will you handle that? And then the other piece of that is the club system in Europe. Is that part of the thinking that you've had, the way the club system is built in Europe for younger athletes? Uh, so tell us about both those, women's sports and equality and getting Overtime Elite involved and also the growth and the, the opportunity for the club system through the program that you're building. Yeah, for sure. I'll take those in order. Um, you know, when it comes to women's sports, um, you know, we, we've, we've been a gigantic, not just advocate um, for that for a long time, but actually a, a great producer of content and, and distribution and storytelling. Um, over time, WBB, our women's basketball platform is gigantic. Uh, and it's gigantic in the places where we publish on Instagram, on TikTok, uh, on Snapchat, et cetera, uh, YouTube. So, so um, certainly women's sports is, is a big focus for us. Um, as it relates to OTE, um, I, I, I would love to be able to do this for, for women as well. I mean, there's nothing intrinsic about this concept that, that's only meant for men. Um, obviously, it requires a you know, significant amount of resources, um, and we have to get it right. Um, and that's why we have a basketball staff of, uh, you know, I think it's over 20 people at least, um, just alone the basketball staff for, you know, 25 athletes. So, um, so, so it, it requires a tremendous amount of investment. And so we have to start somewhere. Um, I, I would love to be able to do this um, in, in women's sports as well. And I think that that, that could certainly be in our sights. Um, but, but holistically, you know, as a company over time has certainly, um, made women's sports a priority. So that, 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 that's on the woman's piece on the, on the European club model. Uh, I think it's a really smart and apt question, um, because, you know, here in the United States, the idea of paying a 16 or 17 year old, um, to play basketball is kind of foreign. Whereas in other sports, it's not tennis, golf, in other walks of life, if you're a musical artist and actor, it's not, but basketball and football in particular have this like, whoa, paying them, that's that's revolutionary. But to your point, Joe, that's not revolutionary in Europe, right? And whether that's basketball or soccer um, or football, as they would call it, you know, it's, it's not revolutionary there. And it's not revolutionary that the athletes that are showing the most talent and most, um, you know, promise to become professionals, that when they're 16 or 17 or 18 or, you know, in, in soccer, oftentimes younger, that they should get extra training and, and, and extra attention. It's not, it's not really radical to your point. And so I think that there are aspects of the European model that we can definitely learn from. I think that um, we, we, we are, we're placing a really, really big emphasis on education, um, which, um, you know, not, 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 not that those clubs don't necessarily, but we have a very kind of particular point of view on it. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I, I do think there are similarities. Great. Zach, when you did the takeover event close to two years ago in New York, you did it in Brooklyn, I believe? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, and, the, and the numbers were jaw dropping, uh, the ones you shared and, and Joe and I followed that uh, back then. I assume it was a bit of an aha moment for, for you guys to say, hmm, maybe we can do something with this, something beyond a one-off event 
what just tell us about the process of turning that spark into a flame and a fire now with actually starting a thing. Cause all your investors are like, wait a second, Zach and Dan, you guys are a media company. What, what are you talking about? You want to do a league? That's a whole different kettle of fish. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's been a, it's been a, a really interesting and, and obviously fun, but, but also stressful journey. Um, but, but you're right that, that, that event was certainly a big catalyst and you know, that the immediate thought is like, well, if you could do this in one day, what does this look like year round? Um, and so that, that you know, it, it, honestly, even before that that event, it had been ruminating in our minds, like what overtime is able to do is make people care about things fundamentally. We we happen to do that a lot with high school basketball, but sometimes we do it with brand sponsors. Sometimes we do it with our own apparel. Like it's not just limited um, to basketball players, let alone athletes, let alone people. Like we, we, we make people care about things. Um, and and we, we, in the case of athletes, we love to see their benefit and partner with them on it on a really fundamental level. Um, but even before the takeover, we had thought like, okay, well, you know, we're, we're doing a nice job of, of promoting properties that other people own. Uh, and that's not going to stop. But what would it mean for us to actually own the underlying property and really um, in, in invest against that? Um, you know, and we had, we, we had talked about, does that mean a pro-am league? Does it mean a new sport? Like, you know, volleyball or, 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 you know, dodgeball or something, um, you know, it kind of just general thoughts, but really the, the, the light bulb moment was, was less business driven truly and more understanding from these athletes that the system is broken and that there's opportunity to fix it for them. Um, and like, it, it, I think it has to start there because it, if you're not able to create something that, um, that the athletes ultimately want to be a part of and, and they feel like is the right solution for them, it's, it's not going to work. So we actually had numerous conversations with these athletes and their families. Even after the event, we set up Zoom calls, like really in-depth conversations to learn. So that I think was like the seminal and say, wow, okay, there's really, really something here. And then sure, it was definitely a journey, you know, talking to our investors, to our board, but I don't think it was, it was some giant surprise in the sense of like, it, it makes sense, right? We already have the built-in distribution. We have the relationships with advertisers. Um, we already have a growing apparel business. We have the relationships with the athletes. Like we have all the ingredients. And when you look at some of the, the, the startup leagues for the past, let's say five, 10 years, you know, varying degrees of, of success, um, but none of them come in with 50 million followers and none of them come in with bona fide stars uh, and this ability to storytell, which, which we've been really, really good at. So I think they, they recognize the unique advantages we have in creating a property like this. Cool. Um, Zach, I want to touch on uh, NIL a little bit. So interesting place where you're going to help athletes really kind of monetize NIL as, as NIL evolves. But on the other side of it, is there a problem with NIL for the business that you guys have created? Because you have been able to use the IP that you own to drive sponsors for athletes along the way. So how do you balance that out going forward in, in the NIL world in terms of opportunity, but also having people maybe come back and say, well, now you have to pay us more because you're using our highlights down the road. Yeah. I mean, look, I think that, um, I think that with the NCAA, it's kind of being presented as a as a new issue. But if you think about it, every league has has handled this and handled it with pretty good dexterity um, over the past whatever fifty years, or, or in some cases more. I mean, taking taking the NBA, like you know, they have plenty of league sponsors, and 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 there's a, there's a large ability 
for them to be able to bring in sponsorship deals, yet the athletes have categories that they, they, they can sign deals. And now, will ours be a, a one-to-one mirror of the NBA? No, we're, we're, we're not the NBA. We have slightly different revenue streams and opportunities. So um, it's, it's, not, it's not one-to-one with that, but the model is clearly there for us to be able to monetize as a company and that to allow us to pay athlete salaries, et cetera, even though you know, we, we obviously are well capitalized to begin with, but from a long-term sustainability perspective. Um, and then in addition for there to be opportunities for athletes to monetize a name of like this, whether that's through us or outside of that. Now, the, the exact mix of that uh, may look a little different you know, as, as it is for different leagues, but I, I, I think that that's something that has been established that, can't, that can certainly work. Zach, I've got a question about uh, something more mundane, but it probably would be interesting to the listeners. And that is talking about the mechanics of working now, <clears throat> excuse me, now through September to launch date, how are you going to be setting up schedules? How are you going to be doing the drafting and the vetting and things like that? Can, can you just walk us through that? And then second part of that would be take us through what would be the ideal game day scenario for the overtime ecosystem. Yeah, um, you know, certainly we have, we have a lot of work to get done between now and September, but, you know, as, as we discussed, like, this is an idea that is years in the making, um, and it's, it's not just an idea that's been existing, but there's been a lot of work put against it, um, and, and obviously, you know, we, we, we are lucky to have an amazing leadership team with Aaron Ryan, who spent 22 years at the league and now is our commissioner, Brandon Williams, who was an assistant GM in the league and is now our head of basketball operations, um, you know, and, and, and we've made some hires since. So we, 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 we have an amazing leadership team with an ability to execute uh, against this. In terms of, um, you, you asked about um, kind of scouting and, and selecting the right players. Um, you know, we, 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 have, we have a basketball operations staff with deep experience in this in, in evaluating players and determining who are the right fits for this program. You know, it's, it's clearly a program that's meant for the elite of the elite. Um, and so we have an internal team uh, you know, certainly not me going, going to games and watching film, figuring that out. You know, you have to rely on experts there, certainly. Um, but we feel really good about <clears throat> our ability to, to identify and then obviously train and, um, and even make better the, the, the best players um, in, in, in the world. Um, your, your, your second question was on an ideal game experience. Um, I think, uh, you know, I, I think if you if you go back and look at some of the overtime takeover videos, particularly that we published on YouTube, um, I think there, there's a there's an energy to them that I think is really, really special, um, you know, youthful energy, um, a, a kind of uh, hyper fun energy. Um, that I think is really amazing. So I think that that, you know, in terms of a visual that I can give you, I think that that's pretty, um, it's, it's a pretty good proxy. Um, obviously, the fact that, you know, we're going to be in, in a building that we're there on a regular basis allows us to be able to, to do some, some different things as opposed to a one-off, which I think is exciting. Um, and I think, look, certainly we recognize the, the, the blend between basketball and, and hip-hop and culture and food and like th- there's so much blend and I think that we can make that really organic to our sort of game day experience but I would say more than anything we're focused on I would say the digital audience even over the in-person audience 
Um, we're focused on leveraging those 50 million followers and growing uh, because there's only, only so many people you can impact in a real world environment. And certainly that will be an amazing experience for our fans, but we're really focused on the digital experience. And I would almost akin it to almost like a show court, you know, like you're, you're, you're or like a soundstage, you're building something um, that, that is optimized for mass distribution across digital. And what, what, what is that going to be that building and where? Uh, so we, we, we haven't, we haven't announced that yet. We're down to, to, to two final cities. Um, but we'll, we'll announce that soon. Okay. Interesting. Um, you know, Zach, I know we only have a few minutes left, but can you walk us through kind of like the progression of, of the business now for overtime from where you guys started five years ago to now sponsors that have come in size of the business, is it growing more competition in the marketplace, just to kind of a general, you know, catch everybody up with overtime who may not know. Yeah, yeah, of course, happy to. So I would say the first couple of years of the business were, were really kind of focused, I would say almost like a land grab, like let's get as much of this young audience in the overtime tent as possible. And, and let's do it in a way where they're engaged and like they feel like they're part of something. You know, the, 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 the thing that I often like to say, which is still true to this day, like I can walk down the street in an overtime shirt and there's a chance some 19 year olds and 25 will be, yo, overtime, oh, shout out to overtime and, and, and throw up our O. Oh, um, and that I think is really unique. So that, that, that was really the focus of the first few years of the business, like growing that audience and growing the, the deep relationship and the brand. And obviously it's still a tremendous part of the business today and, 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 uh, you know, continues to grow our engagement continues to be industry high. So certainly a crucial element, but I would say in the past couple of years, um, you know, we've also now focused on monetizing, uh, that community. And we've seen really uh, amazing growth, re really kind of in two high level categories, direct and indirect, indirect, you know, working with advertisers, um, you know, the renewal rate for brands that work for us. I mean, we work with Nike and Gatorade and, uh, and, and KFC and Google, and just like, you know, tons and tons of blue chip brands and the renewal rates are amazing. They come back and they want to you know spend more money because they see the brand lift, they, they see uh, how much more likely our audience is um, to buy, buy their products or buy that experience once they work with us. Because ultimately what we're doing is we're translating influence. Like overtime is seen um, as this influencer in the sports space. And if you want to you know, essentially buy influence, it's really hard to do that at scale for young people. You're not necessarily going to get it from a TV advertiser. You're not going to get it from you know, just a few kind of one-off influencers on choose your favorite platform. Over time, it's a really holistic um, approach and, and, and the results kind of speak for themselves. So, so re really good indirect business through advertising and then a massively growing apparel business, which is where we've started indirect. I think there's other opportunities for us to directly monetize our audience as well, but apparel has been a really, really good place for us to start. Um, and we've seen you know, really, really good year over year growth. All right, Joe, before we wrap, I got I to gotta bring up my favorite acronym of 2021, which is NFTs, because I saw the NFT acronym in the Overtime Elite Press release. <laughs> so uh, it sounds as though we're going to be looking at some really interesting new approaches you're going to take with monetization, distribution and monetization of digital assets, which you've become quite expert at. So comment on that, Zach, and also curious to hear your thoughts about allowing sports betting sports books mm. to actually bring you guys into their world i don't know if that's something that's been determined or stated yet but it's an interesting question because i know it varies by state vis-a-vis -vis college athletics and the ncaa yeah um you know for, for overtime as a whole um 
I, th I think we actually have a really interesting opportunity. Um, you know, the majority of our audience is actually over 21. I, I alluded to that earlier. So I think, you know, maybe industry folks kind of look at us as a, as a younger brand and we're younger compared to legacy brands, but I think it's kind of a, a secret um, that we're actually older than they think. And we're actually exactly in the cohort that they care about. Um, so look, I, 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 think, uh, I think there is a, a, a sports betting strategy for us. Actually, um, we, 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 we released uh, our first sports betting content series and it was massively successful actually. Um, so so I, I do think there's opportunity there. Again, it comes down to the same thesis of we are able to influence you know, young people um, and we're able, even more than influence, we're able to storytell and create content that they find engaging. Right. Um, and so I, I think that there's certainly opportunities around sports betting for us. Um, so, yeah, it, it's definitely a category that we think about for for NFTs. Um, I think they're particularly interesting um, for OTE um, because you sort of have this this ecosystem that's ripe for really um, amazing moments and a lot of like first of kind moments that uh, tend to tend to, to, to do well as NFTs. And I'm excited about the fact that the athletes themselves will get to participate in that upside. Um, so I, I think NFTs are going to be really interesting for OTE down the line. Cool. Um, so um, as we always do, and we've done this before, it's, your answer has probably evolved maybe a little bit since we were in the closet the last time. Um, everybody who's listening, and there's been a lot of people, as you know, transitioning from different jobs now, given everything that's gone on in the last year, with everything that you're doing now, especially in the digital space, where are you reading? Who are you following? What are you listening to to stay up to date, both you and Dan? And then also the other piece of it is, you know, has your advice to younger people or people transitioning changed over the years? And if it hasn't, or if it's kept kind of uh, the same, what is it? What do you tell people? Who are yeah, I, I would say that um, what, what I read is... I would say it's sort of a, a cross section of um, sort of like, you know, sports business related news. I'm sure a lot of the same things that, that you guys um, read and then kind of um, a lot of them are like in, in, in investor types, like, uh, like uh, the Andreessen Horowitz that, you know, they're one of our investors, but they put out a lot of really interesting articles. This guy, Alex Tausig from Lightspeed, um, uh, Benedict Evans, who I think left Andreessen Horowitz, but, you know, so I, I read a lot of stuff kind of in the, in, in the startup world and then, you know, hashtag sports, SBJ, um, Axios sports, things like that. Um, so, yeah, I, I try I try to I try to kind of I mean, that we're over time is really the convergence of those two worlds. So definitely try to stay updated on those arenas. Um, and then in terms of in terms of my advice, particularly to young people, um, it hasn't changed that much. And I actually don't remember what I specifically said the last time you asked me this, but it may have been the same thing that I'm going to say now, because I believed it for a long time that, you know, the, the, in my experience, the hardest thing is taking that first step and taking that first risk. And if you have, especially if you want to be an entrepreneur, like if you have an idea, like you got to just go for it. Like you, 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 you can't overthink it because you could spend years and years and years trying to perfect your idea before you put anything in market or do any testing. Um, and you'll probably never actually get off the ground that way. Uh, and I think even if you fail putting something into market, even if you're completely wrong and your product sucks, your idea sucks, whatever, like you're just going to learn so much and not just about that product or that idea, but you're going to learn so much, even just about yourself. Um, so I, I definitely encourage people um, really of any age, but particularly young people to just like, 
go out there and, 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 and try something and, and give it a shot. Off of that, you mentioned that uh, our colleague and your investor, David Stern, passed away a year ago, January. What was the one thing that you took away from the time you spent with David on the business side? I mean, it's so many things. Um, I think I think he gave me a lot of confidence. Um, you know, m- most of the people in this industry, really any industry, but I think particularly sports, like, you know, aside from the athletes themselves, it can be a little hierarchical like you know you, you don't necessarily have like really young executives um at a lot of the legacy companies which which is fine um but i think you know for me before i i met i met david um you know i, I think that that was a little intimidating to me um and i was like you know i'm at that point i was i think i was 23 or 24 um and i was like am i a little bit out of my league and and david really helped give me the confidence to to say like respect, respect what's come before you for sure. But you have, you have a different perspective to offer. And actually your perspective is, is perhaps more unique and just as valuable. Um, and, and you should be in the room. You should, you should, you should not just listen, which I'm, I feel blessed that I'm kind of more naturally a listener than, than a talker, except I guess when I'm on podcasts, when I'm being asked to talk. Um, but, but, um, but, you know, he, he gave me that confidence to, 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 to really, let my ideas be heard. Um, and that, that was really the biggest thing for me, I would say, amongst many things that he taught me. Cool. Tom, you want to wrap us up? Yeah, Zach, thanks so much once again. Um, and first of all, congrats on the overall success of Overtime. It's been an amazing journey. Um, I still remember when you and I believe your colleague, I think his name was Tom, visited my class up at campus a couple yeah, of years ago. Yeah, very fun, yeah. And it was probably one of the most uh, popular visits I've ever had. And I've been doing this for a while because I remember one student afterwards, it was a huge hit. And someone said to me, and I'm paraphrasing, but that visit and that discussion is making me rethink what I want to do in this business. Wow. Because... We're so, I mean, a lot of people are so used to listening to executives speak from legacy companies. They're not used to that. And, and I love what you said about David Stern, that you, yes, you do have a different perspective. You don't have the years of experience, but you have a, you have a, you're a smart guy with a really interesting perspective. And there's value in that, particularly now, at, you know, during this really disruptive time in business overall, and definitely in sports. So what's actually ensued uh, after that, uh, with overtime is really kind of amazing. So congrats on the overall success. And I love this idea of OTE, Joe. I mean, I think this is going to be quite a success. And I have a feeling we'll be talking about this five years from now as being a milestone in the world, in the progression of sports and sports media in that I, for one, and I think Joe knows my bias, I do believe a lot of things need to be reimagined including this inversion idea that you, you, you uh, discussed. And I think this is gonna be the first big test and I anticipate that it'll be very successful. So we wish you well with that. It, it's just really quite exciting. We're gonna be Thank you so much, I really process. appreciate that, Tom. Yeah. Hey, uh, before we let you go, the one thing that yeah. Tom mentioned was that that student that you influenced, he now owns a hot dog stand on 125th Street. <laughs> that was his yeah, point. well, business has been slow the last year. <laughs> if, he has a, if he has a hot dog stand on 125th, but whatever. Anyway. Um, so, so yeah, guys, we've been listening to uh, Zach Weiner, who is the co-founder and president of Overtime. And I guess kind of a, um, I don't know what your official title is with OTE, but one of, one of the muckety mucks of OTE. 
the new league, the Overtime Elite League, which is one of the most interesting announcements we've had so far in 2021, other than Tom Brady starting, starting his own NTF company this week, uh, which, which is pretty funny. Um, but Zach, thank you so much for spending time with us. Um, we really appreciate it. And I hope you can come back to campus to talk about your success this September. So maybe later in the fall, you can come by and educate us again. That'll be really fun. I would love that. And thank you guys for having me. Always good to see you, Joe. Always good to see you, Tom. Cool. Our pleasure, Zach. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And we'll see you next time on The Cup Show.